Hi everyone, welcome back to the Quest Podcast. Today, my guest is Donald R. Schmidt, who returns for a second round with the Quest Podcast. Uh, We get into talking about all of the incredible amounts of UFO sightings that have happened through the year, the government's response to that, and of course, an update on Roswell. You won't want to miss this. Life is a quest for logic and reason. It is a quest to find balance between science and faith. Life is a quest for knowledge and understanding. But most importantly, it's a quest for personal discovery. Whatever your quest, knowing yourself is the beginning of all wisdom. Welcome to Quest. Hi everyone, I'm your host, Todd Fisher, and welcome to Season 3 of Quest. A quest is a search for something, and this podcast will show you how we know what we know through interviews with people that have incredible stories of dedication and perseverance. To me, curiosity is part of what makes us human, and there's still so much we don't know. There's joy in discovery. It's what drives us. It's our quest. Hi, Don. Welcome back to the Quest Podcast. Always great to be with you, Todd, my friend. Good to see you again. Well, your last episode um, was very well liked. A lot of listeners for it. Um, So I'm excited to do a part two with you and kind of catch up. It's been a little while. I'm in season three of the podcast now. So it's still uh, chugging along. And uh, I guess let's just jump right into this. Latest on Roswell. I'm curious, was there a Roswell celebration this year? And what do you have new cooking in that case? I actually had uh, six different trips to Roswell this this last year. And in fact, one of them uh, was a a segment we filmed with Fox Nation. And it was uh, Tucker Carlson's uh, producer. So I um, have been in, in contact as far as with Fox in that regard. And, and mainly because, just as a quick aside, those who are you know, familiar as far as with some of the programming at Fox and Dana Perino, who is on one of the morning shows as a co-host, and then she's on that show, The Five, in the uh, late afternoon. And it was a number of years ago when uh, Bob Beckel was the resident um, Democrat on the panel. And a comment was made to which Dana Perino responded, another government cover-up, just like Roswell. Now, keeping in mind that Dana Perino was the first female press secretary to the president in our country's history. And that was George W. Bush. So Beckel immediately, you know, as though it was even a planned, you know, uh, you know, uh, a, a situation. He said, well, you worked for the man. Did you ever ask him? Did you ever ask him about Roswell? And then she responds, well, as a matter of fact, I happened to be in the Oval Office on one occasion. And my question was, Mr. President, what can you tell me about Roswell? And as as an indication of how Roswell has become a household word all over the world. Absolutely, it has, yeah. Uh, I mean, my God, I've had the wonderful fortune. I've lectured through Australia and Japan and China, throughout Europe, South America, Russia, meeting. I had dinner on two occasions with... Uh, two of the cosmonauts, and all they wanted to talk about was Roswell. So it's become synonymous, not with a weather balloon <laughs> crash, as the government here would still love us, love for all of us to believe, but that it truly was a crash of a craft of, uh, of an unknown, uh, a, a craft of unknown origin, and um, that there was a, a major cover-up. So here's Dana Perino, 
press secretary to President George W. Bush. And she asks him in the Oval Office, Mr. President, what can you tell me about Roswell? And it wasn't about Roswell, Georgia. I'm sure there was no doubt in the president's mind what she was referring to. And according to Dana Perino, all the president did was smile and then he winked at her. <laughs> Which, you know, coming from the president is like, don't ask me. But, you know, let's just say I'm fully aware of what you're talking about. Just don't ask. So, so often, as it has been the case with our Raza witnesses, it's what they don't tell you. Yeah. You read between the lines. And any good attorney, any good uh, judge, you know, the the sins of omission, as they would say, what isn't said. And so it was, it was, a, it was a great example. And so we're, we're still hoping and we're still, because there are other leads at Fox regarding one of their military advisors. And uh, this came from, um, you know, the famous radio DJ man called Muller, no less. That one of the military consultants at Fox told him that Roswell was all true. That it indeed was an actual recovery of a genuine UFO, that type of thing. So we're, we're trying to work, work that out with Fox as well. But we had our annual festival and- um, In person with people? Had, yes, yes, absolutely. And without any restrictions, we had, uh, you know, as far as thousands of people that came through the museum during that 4th of July weekend. And in fact, when we officially reopened in March, March was March, April, May, June, July, and September were our biggest string of months in attendance in our history. Wow. So it's still after last year, we had this pent up demand that all these people were lined up to once again get uh, you know, hot on the trail of what's happening at Roswell. And so all leading up to next year being the, the 75th anniversary, which we also decided we're going to commence as of January 1st. Ah, we're not going to wait yeah. until festival. We're going to make a full year commemoration. And so we're going to pull out all the stops as we did for the 50th and uh, make it into uh, something very memorable. Yeah. And, uh, and, and mainly as a tribute to all those witnesses. And as you yourself have had often heard me comment, Todd, that we were racing with The Undertaker. Right. Yeah. And The Undertaker has finally won. I think when, when my partner, Tom Carey, when we actually poll and we, we between our, our, you know, ourselves, like, who do we have left? Who's left? And we can think of two. Now, that's keeping in mind, we've interviewed over 600 people to date, either directly or indirectly involved with what happened back in 1947. And the fact that we're down to possibly two. Wow. Which you're talking the World War II generation and the attrition rate only increasing day to day. So for a couple of years, we could say we were on the one yard line. But in our, you know, in our regard, the, the investigation is not over. We continue to track down family members, uh, the children of uh, key people who were involved. And uh, every so often, to our pleasant surprise, they, they uh, provide us with deathbed testimonies that uh, you know, our father told us before he died. You know, that he was involved in this capacity at Roswell 47, and this is what he saw. This is what he handled. He told us that it all did happen, that type of thing. So, again, a deathbed being admissible in a court of law, it's uh, most significant as far as our investigation goes. We spent a lot of time working on Operation Paperclip, was what, when, when the um, Nazi scientists 
were brought here post-World War II, secretly, and kept at Fort Bliss in, in uh, El Paso, Texas. And that we're finding that more and more of the Nazi scientists were also involved at Roswell, that they were sneaking them over from El Paso over to Roswell to examine the wreckage, to look at things, wow. get their opinion as far as their advanced technology, which uh, any historian would concede that the Germans were way ahead of everyone during that time. Right. And the hope that maybe they could provide some answers. So the, the fact that they even risked the paperclip scientists taking them on the road and traveling to Roswell to examine uh, weather balloon wreckage, hardly. No, it was against something extraordinary. Right. Uh, we have, um, we, we, we want to uh, have a, a dig, an archaeological project, not at the debris field, but uh, next time at the actual impact site where the remains of the craft and the bodies were recovered. Right. Uh, we, we, much less chance of finding any hardware, but just to do it, just to say that we've covered, you know, we've done due diligence at all of the locations. We still would like to do something at the former intelligence officer's house in Roswell, the late Major Jesse Marcel. Because and there was a... The possibility maybe some of the debris would have been put under his back porch. The patio. That, the patio, right. yeah. And right. uh, possibly in the cinder block fence, too, maybe. Correct. As well as uh, uh, a counterintelligence officer, Captain Charity Cabot, suggested that we check the wall surrounding that parcel, that property. And uh, we also need to check some things at the former public information officer's home, First Lieutenant Walter Hott. Uh, there's an old Spanish well out at the ranch where the debris field is located that we keep hearing that the military was in their haste to finish up with the cleanup operation that after dark, they were dumping wreckage wholesale you know, down the bottom of the 700-foot well, that type of thing. Yeah. And uh, there's an abandoned cave at an adjoining ranch that uh, we've been exploring, that we, uh, there was a, a, a young gentleman uh, by the name of Dan Richards who had recovered a number of pieces and he hid them down at the bottom of this cave. And we've had additional confirmation that he was in possession of the wreckage. And um, again, if we don't you know, check these things out, then nobody will. Yeah. So again, yeah. it's still very hot on the trail, Todd because we have everything to gain. I think that's the remaining 1% that I still, when I say, when I'm asked, do you believe, Don? And I'll say, well, no, I don't believe. But I'm 99% convinced. And it's still that remaining 1%. And I can't imagine you know, a greater accomplishment or a greater experience within you know, this lifespan than actually holding a piece. Right of what right. I've listened to dozens of people describe through the years, but to actually be able to see firsthand what, you know, these people have, you know, taken many of them to their deathbeds and the others were reluctant to talk. And then reluctantly that they finally confessed as Major Jesse Marcel, we had talked about in his home. And uh, when he went public and when he stated on the record, Quote, being familiar with all materials, both foreign and domestic. This, in reference to the wreckage, was nothing made on this earth. End quote. So, I want to ask for some clarification. Please. So the term so, UFO, the term it's UFO. not used anymore. Is that correct? Is it now unidentified aerial phenomenon or does it no, matter? It's just a, a new application on the part of the U.S. Navy. They just wanted to essentially uh, distinguished themselves separate <laughs> from the Air Force because it was the Air Force that had coined UFO back in 1952. Right. And so it was one of the reasons that we had hope that as far as, especially with the Navy and that New York Times article in December 9, uh, 2017 with the gun camera footage that 
it was the Navy finally breaking away from the Air Force. Now, mm -hmm. officially, the Air Force had their three investigations of the UFO phenomenon, Project Sign, Project Grudge, then Project Blue Book, most famous of the three, and that most people aren't aware of the fact that the different branches of the military are very much in competition with one another. In fact, if you want to start an argument in a hurry, say to a Navy pilot that Air Force pilots are better. And, and I, for one, and for belonging to the EAA up in Oshkosh, we have our annual air show. And um, I, I've seen both of them perform. And believe me, I, I will side with a Navy pilot any day over the Air Force. I'm not trying to rough any feathers, but they by far are the best, most highly trained pilots in the world. And then when Project Blue Book was shut down at the end of 1969, and then when it was finally, and, and, and they acknowledged that they had investigated 13,000 some cases. And of those 13,000 cases, 701 remained unidentified. Well, you can hardly claim there's nothing to it when you have 700. That's like I'm working in law enforcement and we had 13,000 cases throughout, you know, the last 25 years and 701 remain unidentified you know, unsolved, yeah. but we're batting a hundred. Well, I, I, I'm sorry, only the military, you know, only the government can get away with you know, such, such a shell game. And, right. and they did. And then when the, the, the files, the report on Blue Book was declassified in 1977, where were all the Navy reports? Where were all the Army, the Marine Corps? There was just a handful. So the Air Force is the official investigation of the UFO phenomenon, and it totally ignored all the other branches. Now, especially with the Navy, who has greater global coverage than the Navy? With the Air Force, it's strictly, you know, sovereign airspace, which is mainly our own. And, you know, bases we have set up around the world, and that's it. With the Navy, you're talking practically every corner of the planet. And yet there were about a half a dozen Navy cases in the Blue Book of the 13,000. And there were no Army, no Marine Corps, no Coast Guard. So what has become of all those cases? So that's why we had some hope, Todd, that with the Navy apparently, you know, stepping forward and pre presenting you know, creating this opportunity that there may be some disclosure on the part of, well, let us tell you what we know. Let us reveal to you what we have been investigating at the same time as the Air Force and how we have come to another conclusion, so to speak, because they were pointing in a direction that we were dealing with a technology off the planet. We were dealing with technology that defied the laws of physics. And if it's not ours, Heaven help us if it's Russian or Chinese, that type of thing. Yeah. So, but the, the longer this progressed, we, we, we saw that we've been to this game before. And whether it was with my former scientific director, uh, Dr. Jalen Hynek, or even things that dated all the way back to 1947, it was the same old song and dance. It was like we were, you know, attending the same show all over again. So for all my colleagues that were predicting that this was going to be a major revelation, and when it finally did come out, the report, as promised in June of this past year, we knew it was going to be nothing. Well, it was eight pages of nothing. But they acknowledged for the first time, this was the Navy, through the Pentagon, acknowledged that there was an actual phenomenon. That I like where you're going with this. I want to I want to dig into this more, but let me let me back up for like two seconds because please, please. I think uh, I think this the UFO sighting hysteria is probably bigger than I have ever seen it in my lifetime, and uh, and I'm going to speculate on some of this in a little bit, but just to run a couple of stats here. This source is military.com. Okay, so. Um, UFO sightings in North America jumped to nearly 6,000 in 2019. Mm -hmm. 2020 produced 7,200 UFO sightings. And this year so far, 
10,000 reports have come in. Mm-hmm. Now, the in the southwest of America, the reports are quadrupling right. just in the southwest. And with like Texas alone, in the last 20 years, Texas has had 8,000 sightings just in Texas and over 300 of them in San Antonio, which are continuing to this day. For some reason, there's some activity happening in San Antonio. So incredible numbers. Obviously, this is happening more and more and more. And uh, certainly we're seeing more stuff uh, Mm -hmm. happen with the military, with the government. And as you were saying about the U.S. Navy investigating, um, the Navy task force reviewed 144 sightings um, by U.S. government personnel that occurred between 2004 and 2021. Right. NASA is investigating the Navy's report, <laughs> and then the Pentagon offered up their own report. This is all stuff that's, that's happening within the last right. couple of years. For right. for it being a nothing event, for this right. being nothing, these weather balloons or whatever it is, there's certainly a lot of governmental activity. And I'm going to say one more thing. I'm going to turn it over back to you. But this could be this is super recent. So on November 4th, Senator Kirsten Gillibrand submitted an amendment right. for inclusion in the 2022 National Defense Authorization right. Act requiring the government to strengthen its investigations of unidentified aerial phenomenon. The amendment would center on the establishment of an anomaly surveillance and resolution office, and this office would assume the responsibilities of the Navy-led Unidentified Aerial Phenomena Task Force. Seems like there's a lot of activity here. Let's talk about that. Jump into it, Don. Is this all good stuff, or is this just a bunch of misinformation throwing everyone off, disproving stuff? Well, okay. Let's look at it from, um, again, an, an outside vantage point. In my case, where one might suggest I'm too close to the forest, so to speak. But keeping in mind that within the recent report, they only acknowledged the phenomenon since 2007. Okay? Mm -hmm. And the question then obviously is, well, now you you accept that it, it potentially is a threat to national security. It wasn't a threat back in the 40s. 50s, 60s, 70s, and so on. And especially at a time when it could hardly be our technology, and it certainly couldn't be Russian or Chinese back in the 40s, 50s. I mean, Russia was practically destroyed by Nazi Germany during World War II. They were totally in a rebuilding phase post-World War II. China remain a third world country until just around the 1980s, 1990s, that to be historically accurate. And so it's as though they had provided themselves with a contemporary, a modern day out, that by disavowing, by not acknowledging anything prior to this century, that the fallback then still remains, it's either our technology or it's Russian Chinese or someone else's. Okay, so within a month after the report came out, there was a scientist, a consultant with the Navy, who acknowledged that the Navy has been experimenting with plasma ray out over the Pacific Ocean. And that these plasma rays, when they, uh, they start to phase out, they will take on luminous orbs. They will almost take on the shape of a luminous craft that unless one knows exactly what the source can easily misidentify them as being some, someone's craft, some luminous object at some distance, and that because it's nothing more than plasma, it can zigzag, it can dart about, it can per- perform all types of uh, 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 maneuvers that would crush, you know, the, a pilot and crew, you know, inside if it was an actual craft, an actual, right. you know, uh, a vehicle of sorts. So right there, it was like the Navy was reeling us in. So get ready, because after all is said and done, the Navy's going to admit that, hey, Gotcha. Or, well, it was under national security. It was under, it was top secret. So we had to, uh, you know, we had to throw the Russians off. We had to throw the Chinese off. We couldn't acknowledge anything. Well, the because, other. Because just to insert. So 
a, like a naval aviator seeing mm-hmm. something on camera, not knowing what it is. That right. naval aviator might not be on a need-to-know basis if the CIA or the Department of Defense were testing something ultra-secret, you know? Exactly. exactly. They may they really be seeing something they can't describe, right. Right. but they would, right. they're just going to assume it's a UFO when really it's something that was probably pre-planned and, you know. You make a, a wonderful point, and I, I did a TV interview just uh, yesterday afternoon, and I pointed out, I said, just a, a little helpful, you know, advice. Whenever you interview someone from the government or from the military, keep in mind that these people are compartmentalized. They only have so much access to whatever they know. They only have as far as information that they have received clearance to actually, you know, be have access to. And I said, the difference with me is, and my colleagues, we're not. We can come at this from as many directions. We are not handcuffed. Uh, you know, we, the, the, the information that we have put together comes from hundreds of sources, as opposed to, well, I can only tell you what I know. I can only tell you what I have access to. So don't expect any of these people, including the very, uh, you know, press secretary to the Pentagon, for example, to provide all the answers on anything. So rather Again, than... they don't have access. They don't have access. Right. They don't and have with all, with all these reports and all of this stuff coming out, all this mumbo jumbo, one of the approaches that I think is genius would be rather than say, there's nothing to see here, folks, you know, you would, you've put out a barrage of information so much it's hard for people to sort through with some things unexplained, a lot of things explained. You throw out so much junk that the the whole atmosphere of this is just literally junk to sift through. What could be real? What could, and then people just don't care. It's in the nomenclature. It's out there. You know, the boy crying wolf. Exactly. Yeah. What a great way to have a smoke screen really. And and it's worked for them for almost 75 years. Yeah. In fact, even at the time of Roswell back in 47, there were balloon crashes, balloons that were coming down all around Roswell. And there were rumors of crashed flying saucers in every which direction. You could talk to a witness and they could do this. They could be pointing in opposite directions because take your pick. Which, which location would you like to uh, you know, conduct a recovery operation? Yeah. So it was the boy crying wolf. And it is, as you say, it's the old shell game and, and it works. And it's, it's not so much done as far as to dissuade or throw off the American public or even the American media. It's the fact that they have spies breathing down their necks, and especially given in 47, where you had the atomic bomb, the first detonation, just uh, you know, two hours west of Roswell. And you had, as you know, Todd, the first atomic bomb squadron stationed at Roswell uh, in 1947. So, as the old saying, there were more Russian spies in New Mexico at that time than there probably were anywhere else in the world. Yeah, New so, Mexico was spy central. So, the other thing that I, I your, your listeners, I, I suggest that they watch out for, that I also predict that one of the things that this will also lead up to is that this will, they're going to interject space force into the equation they're going to bring out because now space force is a separate branch has no allegiance to the air force the navy none of the others and so it's going to be suggested that this is new technology developed as far as for our space command and it's going to be intended to send a major message to the russians and the chinese that they better watch it yeah and I think another reason that they've kept it as far as in the contemporary, because as I said, as I explained, because it's much easier when you, you tighten the scope of the very situation you're involved with, that if they were to have acknowledged this for 75 years, they'd have a lot of culpability. And they would look like, You've been deceiving us for 75 years on this, and now you expect us to believe you? Yeah. 
so we have to look at it politically. We have to look at, we have to ask the question, why now? And then getting back to your original you know, supposition about all the sightings. Well, the one benefit that UFOs or UAPs being in the news so much over the last two years has been the fact that people not only are treating it much more seriously, but they're looking skyward, they're looking up, they're out at night, and they're actually peering out at the nighttime sky, and they're, they're catching glimpses of things that may yeah. have been there before, and just like that, all of a sudden, they're no longer looking for loose change, you know, that right. type of situation. And, but also keeping in mind the Southwest, which would also include Western Texas, you have more military bases, more military as far as testing and uh, exercises going on anywhere yeah. than anywhere in the world. Now, one of the things we have to also consider, and there was just a press conference in Washington, Washington Press Club, a number of whistleblowers concerning some of the nuclear infiltrations at some of the SAC, the Strategic Air Command facilities, like Malmstrom, which happened in 1966. And I'm very familiar with the case because I've interviewed a number of the personnel, like Robert Salas, who was there at the time. And just imagine, you are at a major military nuclear-armed facility, and you're in charge of all these missiles, and just imagine you have an immediate alert that there is an unknown object that has broken them, has infiltrated the security perimeter. It's hovering near the nuclear, as far as launch sites. And then as they observe at the control room, one by one, the missiles shut down. Bam, bam, bam. Each Atlas missile shuts down like a demonstration of power that you know you have no control no power over our technology we can shut you down within seconds that you couldn't even launch an attack on us if you wanted yeah and these happen mainly back in the 60s as though it was part of again some script some program was any of that acknowledged as far as within this report, no, because again, it would truly send up as far as a flag of national security because they'd have to acknowledge that we have no control over this phenomenon. And especially back in the sixties, if we were dealing with Russian technology that could shut us down that effectively, World War Three is over. They could yeah. just come yeah. right in and no stopping them. Yeah. Yeah. And there's always yeah, there's been a history of history UFOs around, around uh, military bases. Yes. Um, like we uh, like saw we with Rindlesham in Great Britain, you yeah, know, absolutely. which was a, an 80s event, I believe. So I'm writing a forward to a new book on Rindlesham that uh, is due uh, end of November. So it will be out the middle of next year. But uh, additional witnesses, and we just had. Uh, Colonel Charles Halt, who was the base commander at, at Bentwaters back at the time of the incident. And um, I, I know Colonel Halt very well, and he asked me on one occasion, would we be interested in actually acquiring his uniform that he wore the very night that they were out in the woods on the one night of the three that uh, these particular um, incidents took place? and to put it on display at our museum in Roswell. And, well, of course, and, uh, you know, we'll put it within a glass, uh, you know, a display. And uh, we had him at festival, and we had an actual ceremony, and uh, we essentially unveiled the, uh, the uniform and with a full display of uh, what they, uh, they like to call over in England the British Roswell. So yeah. uh, everything comes back to Roswell, the Russian Roswell and the Mexican Roswell, that type of thing. But um, so, so you mentioned Wendlesham. 
And uh, it, to, to me, even for having been at the location of where this transpired and to have talked to additional witnesses who have yet to be publicized, um, something major happened on those three nights and uh, it involved a shutdown, a lockdown on the base. There was an infiltration again over the nuclear weapons uh, area. And um, it, it hardly had anything to do with our technology. And I, well, and I believe that Rindlesham was a shared base. There were uh, there was American aircraft there and airmen and German and all kinds of people were there. Absolutely. That is absolutely correct, Todd. Um, you know, it, with all these sightings, I think it's interesting to think about, uh, you know, what people are seeing <laughs> as technology increases rapidly instead right. of weather balloons. Are, are people seeing drones? Are they seeing unmanned aircraft, inflatable Bingo. LED balloons, Chinese lanterns? Yeah, Chinese lanterns, all that. All, that, all, the <laughs> above. all of the and above. All the Jeff above. Jeff Bezos and, testing and, something, you know? Well, and that's one of the reasons... First of all, that I love Roswell because it's so virgin and so pristine. I mean, even our jet and rocket uh, technology back at that time was still very um, primitive. We were in our, uh, you know, our beginning stages of mastering jet and rocket uh, uh, propulsion at that time. But here we are in 2021, and whenever I hear of a sighting today, I, I barely blink an eye. Because unless it's a landing where people have absolutely no doubt what they're looking at and that it clearly represents something, you know, beyond our technology, I just yawn because okay. the sky today is just full of filled, filled with crap. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a good word for it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because so, it's, it's not registered. It's not logged. It's not transpondered. There yeah. are no flight plans. I mean, anybody can put anything they want up in the sky and no one's, you know, the, the better for, for, for knowing what it actually was. Yeah. Yeah. And, and taking this in another direction, I think it's interesting that reported UFO sightings are up, but abduction reports are down. <laughs> so let's talk yes. about that. How come yeah. we're not getting abductions like we saw through the sixties and seventies? Because as I personally maintain up until 1973, starting in 47. Okay. There were, Major waves, major flaps that transpired throughout America each five years, every five years. It was like clockwork. And it was a progression where first back in 47 and that summer wave at that time, many times they were seen in formation as though they were testing out our own military capabilities. They were seen predominantly over New Mexico, for example, and other military bases, but again, typically in formations, clusters of objects. So to ensure their own safety for all we know, okay? And then in the mid, uh, and then in 52, five years later, you had the buzzing at the White House. And people think that just happened on two separate nights. There were over 300 cases, 300 reports around the D.C. area uh, from May, June, and leading up to those two weekends in July where formations buzzed the White House. So in other words, it was like, hey, we're knocking on your door. And again, there's nothing you can do about it. We're right here over your, your national capital. And uh, we're announcing our presence. What are you going to do about it? And then five years after that, you had more and more landings. And then five years after that, you had more, you had the first abduction, missing time accounts. And then those only intensified and they became actually more and more bizarre. And the last true wave, the last true flap in the United States was in the fall of 1973. So you have cases yet you know, isolate like a Travis Walton, Charles Higdon, like in 1975. There, uh, you have like the Hudson uh, Valley boomerang sightings, isolated flap in uh, the Hudson Valley, uh, New York, Connecticut area in 83, 84. Uh, you have like the Phoenix Lights 
Uh, I could throw Wendelsham in it. But again, these are isolated cases. But as far as an actual flap, a wave, where it, like it's, it originates in one section of the country and then it just swells and then... You, you know, know, this makes this makes perfect sense to me what you're saying. So I'm going to put it in a different spin. First, we, we send craft to orbit Mars. Then we mm-hmm. send crafts to land on Mars. Then we send mm-hmm. people in crafts to land on Mars. Then we abduct a Martian. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Certainly this would, would be but, the. This would yeah. totally be the, the order in which things would be it's done. Scientific progression, exactly. And, and that's the, the the one thing that has attracted me to the UFO phenomenon. I think as much as Roswell, because there has been this progression that can be charted. It yeah, can yeah. be documented. Genius. Uh, the there were no there was not a single missing time abduction report or anything you know like such thing till 1959 and I was down in South America you have the Betty Barney Hill incident that happened in September of 1961 yeah and so but you are absolutely correct Todd the fact that now the abduction reports have dropped off but I think that's uh, twofold. They know our weaknesses. They sent COVID. Or how interesting can we be? I mean, you abduct a couple men and women, and it's after a while, hey, we all bleed. I mean, we're a a bunch of primates compared to what they have. (laughs) That certainly could be an observation on their part. But I think uh, much of it has to do with when you consider three, the three principal abduction investigators are. And I'll explain, are no longer with us. And you're talking about the late Dr. John Mack of Harvard and and Bud Hopkins from New York, who pretty much started much of what we believe, what we uh, perceive as far as the abduction phenomenon. And then Dr. David Jacobs, retired now from Temple University. And David has uh, been uh, having... Uh, severe health issues over the last number of years, and he really hasn't worked uh, on missing time abduction cases probably over the last five years. So you remove those three, and as a result, I the the the, the simpler explanation really is that people just don't know who to go to any longer. Yeah, that these were the three prominent uh, that you could go to the media, you could go to local law enforcement, you could go to a doctor. And they would refer you to John Matt, Bud Hopkins, or Dave Jacobs. And now that they're out of the picture, I so watched Bud it Hopkins may be work one time. It was incredible. Right, 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 right. But Dr. Heineck used to always, in as much as as an astronomer, and in resting with the vast distances from point A to point B, and that he would say that I'd be much more satisfied or confident of the reality of the phenomena, if we'd have one good sighting a year, suggesting, again, traversing these distances. But if we're having legitimate sightings day after day, night after night, you know, here, every corner of the country, every corner of, of the world, it suggests something much closer, that they either have set up shop, they have bases, you know, at the bottom of the ocean, under the water, or at the, at the right. poles, on the ground, or we're talking possibly another reality, another dimension, uh, something that's able to slip you know, in and out at will. So that's a UFOs very and, uh, UFOs and extraterrestrials are certainly uh, in pop culture today more than ever, too. More than ever. And, uh, you know, Project Blue Book was a television show that was on recently. It's now canceled, but the, the makers of Project Blue Book are making a new UFO series about Roswell. Um, that's in development yes, at we TNT. Were, and if if it was interesting is they haven't contacted any of the dominant researchers on Roswell. And they were in Roswell. They didn't even stop at the museum. And if they did, they didn't announce their presence. Hmm. So it's like whose material do you think you're going to use? Well, yeah. then if I look back at Blue Book. If they do the same job on Roswell as they did on Blue Book, it's going to be 90% fiction. Yeah. 
And yeah. so that will just further muddy the waters. And then you've got uh, on Peacock Network is Unidentified with Demi Lovato. Right. <laughs> An interesting right. choice. Of, and then you've got... Uh, well, she's uh, very interested in the subject, as it turns out. She is, for sure. Yes. She's had some experiences, a lot of weird experiences. So is, uh, it's a so decent is, show. So is Rihanna. Mm -hmm. So is um, Miley Cyrus. Uh, as far as the, the younger, as far as the, the, the uh, young generation... I appreciate the fact that it is attracting a whole new crowd, a whole yeah. new audience that we may not have otherwise. And, and I'm just going to run the list like super fast here, just some of the stuff that's currently out. So um, Unidentified Inside America's UFO Investigation is on History Channel. UFO Hunters is on Pluto. Hangar One, the UFO Files is on Netflix. UFOs Declassified is on Hulu. The Secret of Skinwalker Ranch is on History Channel. Unsealed Alien Files is on Tubby TV. UFO is on Showtime, which is a J.J. Abrams show. I mean, there's a ton of stuff out just from the last couple years. And just within the last year, we did the uh, Roswell, the first witness on history, which was yeah. a three-part, two-hour series yeah, that aired that. just yeah. a little over a year ago. And then um, this past summer was a combination of travel and discovery. We did Roswell, the final verdict where we were involved with all the AI, the psychological stress evaluation, analysis of the witness uh, interviews that we've done. And I was, I was confident and pleasantly surprised that 95% of the uh, recordings of actual eyewitness testimony we provided uh, were judged to be accurate, judged to be truthful. And um, so... And I we're approaching this from different uh, technologically uh, uh, avenues at, at, as we speak. And uh, so we can revisit, we can go back and like even the, the, some of the, the, the Ramey memo, for example, that photograph of General Ramey at the Weather Balloon press conference. And uh, I have, uh, we're proposing new uh, tests that can be conducted on that to take it to the next level. Uh, there are additional witnesses we'd like to do AI as far as on their testimony. And as we had talked earlier, just the uh, the in the field uh, search for the Holy Grail, the yeah. physical evidence. And I know we're starting to run out of time. So I, I have a couple of listener questions if you'd want right. to take a stab at Please. these. Please. So Absolutely. I actually had some people that emailed in that wanted to ask you questions. I thought this was awesome. I said the, our first episode together was great. People were excited you're coming back. So I'm going to throw that you were not prepared for these. So I haven't cued you in advance. Anyone listening, he's going to be answering these off the cuff. We're putting Don on and the if, spot. If, and, and if I may also add, whenever <laughs> I debate someone, I don't want the questions in advance. It's yeah. amazing. Every time I have debated a skeptic, they demand all the questions in advance. I no, never here's, do. Here's the first one. This one is from Jeremiah Heath. And he says, Don, how do you figure out if a Roswell informant is bringing real and true information or is offering misinformation? Very good. And uh, quickly, one of the first telltale signs that a witness may not be legitimate is when they come to you. When they go out of their way to contact uh, myself, my partner, Tom Carey, you forgot about me, for example, that type of thing. First red flag. And, and secondly, if you cannot, if we cannot prove you were in the area, if we can't prove you were at the Roswell Army Airfield at that time, if you are not listed in the city directory that you had a business in town, that you did not live or operate or work on a ranch in the surrounding areas where this all transpired, in other words, we got to put, we got to place you at the scene of the crime. So we we do a thorough background check on all these people. And then if they pass mustard, then their testimony, the moment it would start to contradict someone else who we maybe have verified and additional witnesses have also corroborated another red flag. So the amazing thing about Roswell and Todd, as I mentioned, over 600 witnesses, it's as though whether military, civilian, mainstream media, they're all reading from the same script. And they're all behaving as though they were experiencing something extraordinary. Yeah. 
I don't care if you were the most highly trained military individual at the time or a child of one of the hired hands of one of the ranches. They had this, this sense of awe of what they uh, were becoming involved with. Yeah. And we look for that as well. We look for, you know, that wonderment that's still in their eyes after all this time, because you're not going to experience, you know, the crash of a flying saucer and just talk about it like some car accident 50, 60 years later. That's interesting. That's interesting. What about, and I guess I'm just curious about this. You know, there's a a million ways to follow this story, right? So yes. let's say, for instance, uh, someone was clever and they said, um, oh, well, you know, the body's left by a train out of this place and they were going to, you know, Wright Field in Ohio, but the train stopped in, you know, Benton, Arkansas, and I was living there and working and I saw this and it was right. some new little thing that a little angle you hadn't thought of. How do you discredit that person or do you or can you? Or is it actually a new nugget of information at that point? If it's a an independent loan as far as deviation, on the story as we've compiled it, as we put it together, it remains in our gray basket. We, you mentioned a freight train. Now just imagine quickly this situation. There's a civil service supervisor manning the freight yard east of the gate across from the tarmac where the wreckage embodies, the very hangar. And you've been to it. Yes. In Roswell. Yes. Mm -hmm. And this supervisor watches a convoy of vehicles under heavy guard come through the gate and start to load up crates into an open freight car. And he sees a piece of metal fall to the ground, unobserved by the personnel. They finish, they go back to the base. And he goes over and he steps that piece down under the, you know, under the ground, hoping he'll retrieve it later, which he does. He comes back that evening, he retrieves it. And then we track down his son, who he was, present, he was presented with this as a birthday present six years later. And he uses part of his magic act where he would crunch it up, throw it up in the air, and the people would watch as it would slowly open, unravel, and float to the ground, that type of thing. What if we also tracked down one of the people who was part of that military guard that loaded up those crates? What if we also tracked down somebody who was involved at a metals uh, factory, which had the hottest blast furnace in the world at that time, which just happened to be in Ohio, which was the destination of that train, and that there was a truck that took over wreckage from that freight car over to that blast furnace to see if even the blast furnace would have any effect on this metal. And you see how this all came together. The fact that it wasn't just one individual. We then go out of our way. Okay, let's find out if we can put a freight car at the base at that time. We tracked down the, 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 uh, the supervisor. We tracked down his son. We tracked down one of the guards, all that. And so, again, the amazing thing, Todd, is that they're reading from the same script. And yeah. this is another yeah. chapter. This was something that we had no idea about. And now we got a freight car. We had train yeah. transportation yeah. involved as well. Because most people because just think about the debris, about field, the debris and, field and, you know, the ranchers you know, and, and collecting. And the special flights, you know, yeah. flying out the wreck. Yeah. Well, there were trucks. There were freight cars. There were multiple flights, multiple destinations. And... Uh, my God, a weather balloon, you could gather up one person, toss up into the trunk of a car, and that would be the extent of it. <laughs> you know, 50 me, to 60 groups gathering up wreckage for six, for three days, you know, yeah. in itself is hardly a weather balloon. Yeah. So the next question is from Brandon Abernathy, and he says, he asks, I know Roswell has been your life's work. What UFO-related case are you second most interested in? <laughs> Um, mm. hard question because prior to Roswell I was working on missing time experiences Interesting. and uh, I, I was working with Dr. Hynek uh, because I had been a special investigator with Hynek 
the last eight years of his life. After he passed on, I became director of special investigations of his organization, the Center for UFO Studies in Chicago. I sat on the board of directors there for 10 years. And I was a skeptic in the sense that I thought we'd go down to Roswell and wrap this up in a single weekend and prove it was a weather balloon or you know something just as prosaic. But before Roswell, I was the only other investigator that Heineck had referred to the late Stanley B. Mitchell, who was the president of the American Hypnosis Society. And Mitchell had developed battlefield hypnosis during the Korean War, where they were doing surgeries, amputations on the battlefield in hypnotic trances. That's how good he was. And then to see uh, open heart surgery on film where the patient is lying there awake talking to the doctors in a hypnotic trance. And that's how good Mitchell was. And so I was so honored that, that, that Dr. Heineck I was the only other investigator that worked with Mitchell in that regard. And so we were working on missing time, multiple witnesses. So we had corroboration of the missing time. Um, it involved families. So I'm talking personally. And one of them, her name is Sherry Wild. There's a movie script. There's been a book. And uh, there's going to be a, a mini-series on, on cable TV about her, multiple experiences, not only involving herself, her former husband, her two daughters, and now even her grandson, five years old. And he's talking about the little men that come and visit him in his bedroom late at night. So it's one thing to read about cases, but uh, I, 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 it's, that's not a, an ego trip as much as I, I speak about that, which I know of firsthand. Yeah. So these were the cases prior to Roswell that I was uh, very much involved with. That's fascinating. And, uh, Here's, the next question is from Wilson Thomas III. It seems we may have gained some new tech from the Roswell crash, but it doesn't seem weaponry advanced all that much. Do you believe the UFO that crashed at Roswell had weapons on board? There's no testimony to that effect. In fact, one of the most interesting uh, testimonies we had from, um, he was a flight mechanic, flight engineer. He was a sergeant by the name of William Ennis. He was with the 393rd Bomb Squadron, uh, headquartered at Roswell at that time. And before he died, now these were the, these were the flight engineers that could take a B-29 you know, our, our foremost, you know, our ultimate bomber at that time. They could take them apart down to the last rivet and put them back together again. And yet, before he dies, he says to me, Don, before I go, you got to find out how that damn thing flew. It didn't have a moving part on it. Mm -hmm. So just imagine, you know, it's like Will Smith, uh, you know, human arrogance, Will Smith in Independence Day, he's able to jump into the cockpit and he's able to fly that saucer, you know, that object like he's done it a hundred times before. Well, I'm of the position that we still can't bridge the technology. That now after 75 years, we still can't find the on button, and especially if there are no moving parts. So as a result, we're, we're leaning more and more towards thought projection the idea that I jump into the, you know, the cockpit and I, you know, my brain, I tell it what to do. And that the memory material is the propulsion that it's able to morph. And as it moves and maneuvers through the sky, that you become one with the ship and the ship becomes one with the very atmosphere, the very, you know, Interesting. as far as the environment around it, that type of thing. Interesting. And so, um, a whole new way of looking at this. And so we're, we're, get, we're going, we're getting beyond the physical nuts and bolts in that this may be something even far superior than anything we ever imagined. And the last question I have is from Janice Smith. And you may have actually kind of answered this earlier, but I'm going to go ahead and read it to you again. If a UFO with aliens on board did in fact crash in Roswell, how come no one from their home world came looking for them? Good question. Very good question. And we didn't touch on this earlier. When Dr. Lincoln the Paz, he was with the Manhattan Project with the you know development of the atomic bomb and the uh, the Japanese balloon bomb, uh, you know as far as investigating some of those that came in over the Pacific and actually went as far uh, east as uh, Michigan and Ohio 
at that time. And they didn't want to let the Japanese know that they were successful in launching you know, such an attack over the United States until after the war. So he was part of that. And he was also assigned from Washington. He arrived in Roswell with the assignment two months after the incident to determine the speed and trajectory of the crash. Okay. Well, first of all, balloon doesn't have speed trajectory. So that in itself is, again, suggestive of what they were you know, dealing with. But uh, Master Sergeant Lewis Rickett, who was with counterintelligence, he was a non-commissioned officer, and he was assigned to spend three weeks in the field with La Paz. And La Paz was a famous meteor expert as, as well. And he developed the investigative uh, methodology of triangulation that you could determine the landing or the impacts area of a meteor based on multiple witnesses from different vantage points. And you would then be able to triangulate and finally make a determination within maybe a mile or two of where it impacted. Well, they did the same thing with Roswell. And according to Rickett, who I interviewed personally on a half a dozen occasions, he said that they interviewed all those ranchers out around that debris field, that impact area. And he said many of them, many of them described that for days and weeks after the crash, they saw objects hovering over the area with beams of light projected down to the ground below as though they were searching for something, as though they were still, you know, looking for a lost, uh, you know, object of, of, of their concern. And it wasn't ours, according to Rickett, that, that they, they realized that that was, there was an attempted recovery. Wow, that's great. I've never heard that before. Yeah, we've written that up and uh, we've talked to some of the ranchers thereafter who, uh, you know, confirmed that it was almost like a nightly event where they would watch for these unknown, you know, objects and all of a sudden they'd see a beam of light project down over the ranch land uh, you know, suggestive that they were conducting uh, surveillance. They were searching wow. for, uh, in this case, you know, lost colleagues, so to speak. Wow. Well, Don, this has been a lot of fun. A pleasure always to have you back. Tell everyone what's coming up for you next. Do you have new books? What's happening? The latest book is called Touched by Roswell, Close Encounters of the Rich and Famous. And it's available at Barnes and Noble and, uh, and certainly Amazon. And, it's not a research book. It's something new. It's, 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 it's new, unique in that for all the celebrities and like in your case, Todd, when you got to meet uh, uh, Chester Lytle senior yeah, in, in Albuquerque, a, a shiny example of, of these people who no matter what their status, politician, military, entertainment, music, movies, TV, that Demi Moore, John Denver, you know, born in Roswell, Roger Stahlbach and uh, Tommy Brookshire, as far as sports luminaries who went to the Military Institute in Roswell. Uh, Sam Donaldson from ABC also went to school in Roswell. Uh, Dr. Edgar Mitchell, Apollo 14, was in high school at the time of the Roswell incident just south of town. So it's a whole book, including President Bill Clinton and Donald Trump and Senator Barry Goldwater and as far as uh, Chris... Um, uh, oh, X-Files, um, Chris, Carter. Chris Carter and Roy Thinnis and Robert Weissman, Day of the Earth, Sunstone, on and on and on, all these people who uh, are connected to Roswell, either directly or indirectly, and how it has affected Roswell and how Roswell has affected them. So it's, uh, it's an entertainment book. Uh, but uh, it's the book that uh, we finally decided to write and it's presently available. Everyone go buy that. And how Touched can people... By Roswell, thank you. Yeah, yeah. How can people find you out there in the interwebs? Well, I'm on Facebook under Donald Raymond Schmidt. Our website is down. It's being uh, redesigned because Google, for whatever, or Yahoo, for whatever reason, I think it's Yahoo, decided to take it down under the banner that we were too controversial. Hmm. And yet we've been, we've had a website now for 21 years, and all of a sudden it's too controversial. And it's hardly political, so it certainly can't be that. Yeah. Um, but uh, uh, also the uh, International UFO Museum and Research Center 
And uh, but you can, like I said, you can find me on Facebook at Donald Raymond Schmidt, S C H M I T T double T. Great, great. Well, Don, always great. I hope you come back for a part three. Three and four and five. Yes, that's good. <laughs> for Don. sure. And hopefully we yeah. actually get to see each other again at some point. That would be nice to meet in person again. Off and rendezvous in Chicago. And uh, yeah, well, I'm going to stay on the line. I'm going to talk to you when I uh, quit recording here. But uh, thanks for coming out. And uh, I, look, I think it's going to be a great episode. I think everyone's going to love it. Thank you, Todd. Next time you'll have a dozen questions for me. So for the audience, that'd be great. All right. Talk soon, Don. Talk soon too. Take care, Take care. Todd. Bye-bye. Bye. And there you have it. My interview with Don Schmidt. It's always a pleasure to have him back on the podcast. It seems like we never have enough time to talk about all the things that we want to talk about, but he will be returning again and again. I can promise you that. I hope you enjoyed it. Until next time. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Please be sure to rate and review this episode. This podcast is produced by Todd Fisher and distributed by Metacortex Publishing. This podcast is copyright. Any previously trademarked or copyright content is used by permission. Information and opinions stated in this podcast should not be construed as medical advice. Please be sure to visit the official website for the International Association of Metatomics at metatomics.org or find us on social media for other unique content.